Hello, everybody, and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I am your host, Charles Curtis. Now, normally on a Friday, it would be uh, Hamel Javeri, but she is out on assignment this week, which I love saying. It's so, it's so journalistic to say she's out on assignment, but she is. And this week I'm hosting, and I brought in uh, somebody for a newsworthy thing. I'm bringing in Ted Berg, our baseball guy, guru. I keep calling people gurus, but it's true. Uh, Ted, what's going on? I don't know if I count as a guru. I think that's a that's bold, and and you know I would love to claim that. I know yeah. a lot about baseball. I know a lot about baseball, but I would say the main thing I know is that you can't really be a guru. All right, fine. Our expert, you want to be an expert? You are. I'll, I'll take expert. I'll take expert. The world, yeah. World's foremost expert in everything. So so baseball, we can throw in there as well. Um, yeah, Ted, I want to bring you in because uh, Ichiro. I don't want. We can't call it retired. He he moved to a spot in the front office yeah. of the Seattle Mariners. Uh, which we can talk about that that move in and of itself, um, and we got to talk about Ichiro. And I want to kind of get your thoughts about Ichiro's career. Uh, let's start with that. Like, wh- like is he? Where does he sort of land in in the all time greats? Um, I mean, he's he is like the best at being Ichiro. Is really what you know. There, he's <laughs> such a such an unusual player for so many so many different reasons, especially in the era that he played. You know. Uh, came up in 2001 which was st- still sort of right in the peak of uh what people now call the steroids era and and never really hit home runs right just a pure contact hitter uh and the best at it a guy who led the league in hits basically every year set a new record for for hits in a season which had been like a 55 year old mark or something like that and longer than that it was like 80 years since George Sisla had done it uh just you know a, a great contact hitter a great right fielder a great base runner uh a guy that i think um it was funny sort of in his career i think at the beginning people from sort of the sabermetric side of of baseball analysis would have said he's overrated you know he's he's just a contact hitter doesn't get on base a ton but for by the standards of a guy who's going to hit 330 doesn't hit for a lot of power uh and then by the end of his career people were looking back and saying oh my god this guy was good, you know. When you when you when you add up what he could do on offense with with how good he was on the base pass and how good he was as a defender, he's a really valuable player. I think, uh, obviously, by far the most successful uh, foreign-born pro player to make the transition to the major leagues and uh, first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. Oh yeah, first ballot for sure. Um, my my angle, in addition to like, wow, what a really amazing baseball player he was. And what a prolific career was the international man of mystery kind of take that I think a lot of writers have had and a lot of people have had over the years. Because we're, we're talking about, you know, you talked about singles, him, you know, just that pure hitter, occasionally hitting one out of the park. And there were all these, like, legends that followed him, right? Like, why doesn't he speak English even though he knows Japan, even though he knows it and he, you know, speaks Japanese exclusively to everybody? He does all these crazy workouts. And my favorite one was, like, if Ichiro wanted to, he could be a thirty home run hitter. That was always my favorite one, and nobody. And I don't, yeah, and yeah. I don't think I buy that, right? Like, no, I, neither like, do because, I. Because, because at some point, you know, and and look, I don't want to sound. I I I always, uh, I always worry about treading on this territory as a as a white guy because uh, uh-huh. I don't. I never want to sound uh, like you know like I, I'm 
Like, I just don't understand, right? Like, I, it's a different culture. But there are particulars to Japanese baseball culture versus American baseball culture. And and one of them is that, you know, at least by my understanding and from talking to people who know the Japanese game, is that strikeouts are far more stigmatized in, in Japan than they are in the U.S. for whatever reason. Uh, and I've spoken to people who, who ascribe that to, like, you know, deeply embedded cultural reasons that I don't want to get into. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if that's the case, right, maybe there is something to the idea that, that Ichiro could have hit for some more power uh, if he were willing to swing and miss a little bit more often. And I, and I think that's true with a lot of guys. Uh, and he is obviously someone who just didn't swing and miss very often at all. But, you know, expecting a guy who hits seven home runs a year to hit 30 home runs a year and, and completely change his game just because he wanted to, it, it always seemed a little a little far-fetched. I hope it's true, right? And and you, like you said, like that makes it so much fun that there is this mysterious air to him. Mm-hmm. But come on. I mean, come on. I, I, just don't, I just don't know that I buy it. Yeah, I don't either. It's just one of these things that like – the, the legend of Ichiro, which has gotten kind of bigger and bigger and, and crazier and weirder and sort of like hidden in the last few years, I think, now that he's in, you know, 44, I think, right? It's like, who is this guy? And, and, and I think we're all okay with the Ichiro being Ichiro mantra, I guess, like that we're like, we love him and we, we loved watching him. We're excited, you know, that, that he had such an amazing career. Um, but like along with that, like we, we learned slowly that like he had an amazing sense of humor. He pranked teammates. He like learned Spanish to trash talk. He like you know all these funny things. And then you learned about these like crazy workout uh, things that he did in the off season and during the season and all that. And I just that amazes me that that you pack that into additionally a guy who was so good at baseball. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if I'm sure you read it, and I, I don't know if listeners have necessarily read it, but there was an ESPN feature on Ichiro that came out in spring training, and it it sort of reframed the whole thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's a lot to it, you know. There there's a lot that's that's very very fun about Ichiro, and also as it turns out, a lot that's like kind of grim. You know, yeah. it, it sounded like he he really had a. a crazy childhood i think you could if you you know if you read the article i think it's hard not to come away thinking he's the victim of child abuse you know that he was he was basically forced into training for baseball nearly every day of his life uh and his father would get violent with him when he didn't want to uh, and and sort of you know crafted him into this perfect baseball player that he is but from that article at least it doesn't even sound like it's something you know Ichiro is necessarily that proud of so much Mm -hmm. as just it's the fulfillment of what was always sort of dictated for me yeah and also like his dad has an Ichiro museum and it's it's just a very bizarre situation I wanted to ask you also you know now that we're talking about like Ichiro in Japan is that what you make of him not totally retiring? The talk is that he's going to appear when the Seattle Mariners are in Japan, and that's when he'll retire. Uh, do, do you make what do you make of that? Uh, I I honestly don't know. I mean, I don't. I've heard. I saw that as well. Uh, Ken Rosenthal tweeted that like his agent sort of suggested that that could be the way he goes out. That would be cool. But you know, and again, this is based a lot on that ESPN article and and various other things we've heard from Ichiro. Right? This is a guy who said. You know, I think when it comes time to retire, I'll just die. Like he just yeah. it sounds like he really doesn't know how to define himself without playing baseball. And so, you know, I would wonder if the uh, non-retirement retirement aspect of this is as much about like 
him having to come to grips with it as it is leaving the door open for, you know, whatever series down the road he might play. And that really is the takeaway, right? Is like Ichiro not retiring is part of this this overall package that I think we're painting, right? Like the, that that he's he he's not only you know this robotic sometimes hitter at the plate and a great defender and man he was speedy on the base pass, but also there's this whole other side of him that is mixed with with rife with with so many different things uh, about him that that make him just one of the more fascinating athletes. I would well, and say, he said he said know, he's not even. Years. He's not even going to stop, like taking batting practice and doing right. his pregame warmups and stuff. He's going to continue preparing, like he does as a major league baseball player, even now as he's approaching forty-five years old and taking a, a front office job. Yeah, it's it's so fat. wow. You know, like you talk about athletes, like you think about like Tiger Woods, who I think is somebody also similarly who, you know, had some some things with his childhood and and uh, uh, grew up quickly. Because he had to and became this huge superstar. But, you know, you kind of wonder, what will Tiger Woods do without golf? And it's similar with Ichiro, it seems like. It, what will he do without baseball? Or will he stay in there and become something if he's not playing? I mean, it's crazy for everyone, right? It's crazy for, for most professional athletes, I think. Because, you know, we think of when you think when you hear a 37-year-old baseball player, you think, oh, well, he's, he's almost done, right? He's coming to the end of the line. But I'm 37, and I feel like I have a lot of life and a lot of career ahead of me. It must be a very strange thing to think, you know, to be looking at 40 years old as like the end of, of this main thing you've done for your whole life, right? Baseball players spend so much time playing baseball, 162 games a year, especially for Ichiro, and then spring training and the offseason. Like, this is this is what you do. It's not like a luxurious, relaxing lifestyle of vacations. It's you train for baseball, and then you play baseball. And Ichiro, especially, I think they said he went on one vacation for the entire course of his professional <laughs> baseball career. Um, so so what do you do? You know, what do you do? It's not like he's old. Right, he's, if he's forty-five, you're not you're not dying, you know. So you've got another forty-five, fifty years left on Earth, and you're you can't do the one thing you've ever done. Yeah, it's it. It's a, when you put it that way, it's crazy. It, it it's is. super depressing. It's yeah. super depressing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, especially and, for us and, olds. Yeah, and you know, you, yeah, you've got two hundred million dollars or whatever, you, whatever you have, but you still have to find something to do with your time, right? Like you just, what are you gonna do? I I always think about that. And you think of other athletes like Derek Jeter, who are like you know so plugged into the game, and and you say to yourself like like Tom Brady, you think about this as well with a guy like that. Like what? Do, how do they get to the sport of the competitive stuff that they love so dearly? Like Peyton Manning, for example, reportedly turned down some on-air stuff because. And there are a lot of people who have said this to me. I've reported this uh, by talking to some some like Phil Sims and guys like that who are in broadcasting, like. They're like, this life isn't for everybody. Like, Peyton might be so competitive he wants to be like John Elway and get back into the game. Like, I wonder with Ichiro, is he a coach? I don't know, manager? I don't know. You know, uh, front office seems too boring in a way. Uh, owner, you know, it, it's it's like, what does he do next? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we, we know... We just don't know his decisions well enough to even guess. Like I think, I think it, you could have read a lot of writing on the wall that said like Derek Jeter is going to be an executive, right? This is that I don't know that you would have guessed it playing out exactly this way, but I think you could have guessed that Derek Jeter winds up in an owner's box or a front office somewhere. With Ichiro, 
I just don't know enough about him, even after all this time, to say, like, oh, yeah, this is the route for this guy. Yeah. I, I mean, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it's, like, a, a Ricky Henderson thing where, you know, maybe – Maybe he goes and plays in Japan next year if they let him play in Japan. And then maybe he winds up in a independent league in Japan. And maybe he winds up on the San Diego Surf Dogs. You, you don't know. <laughs> that would be really fun to see, like, Ichiro at 55, like, getting up to the plate. And- I mean, he'd, he'd sell tickets. You know, he'd sell tickets. And, and yeah. someone, will, someone will let that guy play baseball for as long as he wants to play baseball. It's just whether he's willing to do it at a significantly lower level than he's used to. Yeah. Well, uh, since we have you on the podcast, by the way, I, I wanted to do a quick a little buy-sell thing. We're a month into the MLB season. Wanted to see if you had thoughts, I'm sure you do, on the various things that are happening. And again, it's still small sample size season. We're a month in. But still, it's that's, uh, what, a sixth of the season? Yeah. So about, there you go. Yeah. A little so more. A little more. I think we're, we're, we're just just coming up on a fifth of the season now. That's crazy. Right, because teams are like 32 games. Right, right. Uh, so are you buying or selling – the Atlanta Braves winning the NL East. Uh, man. Uh, I'm, selling. Hard one. I'm selling. I'm Same. selling because I don't. I don't think like so. I, I'm really psyched about the Atlanta Braves. Oh, so and am I. yeah. I mean that the young core of players that are now coming to fruition looks so awesome, and they're so fun. And you look like into their minor league pitching, their minor league system, and it's like they have. Almost the entirety of the Baseball America Top 100, it feels like, are, are Braves pitching prospects. So you can look at the roster and be like, oh, you know, they could use some frontline pitching. It's coming. It's coming. And and that's really cool. I just don't think that the current team, the 2018 team, can keep counting on, like, Kurt Suzuki and Ryan Flaherty and Preston Tucker and all these guys to hit, like, all-stars. Nick Markakis, like, guys who are very much established uh, major leaguers where you know what you're getting out of them. It seems like on the Braves have all sort of played above their heads so far this year. So I think they're going to be pretty good. I think they'll hang in it and I wouldn't rule out like a wild card but, and and you know, the, the Mets playing lousy lately sort of throws things into flux a little bit as well. Right. Uh, the whole division is going to be a lot more competitive than we thought, but I would not by the Braves winning. I'm selling it too, but man, and it's so funny, by the way, we're, we're on the record as two lifelong Mets fans being excited about what's happening in Atlanta, so we'll make it that what you will. I, I, I'm just really well, excited to see. they stop being hateable. They stop being right. hateable, right? Right. When, when you lose a few seasons, you saw like, I don't, you know, there was a time in my life when like the idea of like the Phillies just filled me with rage, you know, and now it's like, oh, good for the Phillies. Reese Hoskins, that's cool, you know, like the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so yeah, I think it's the the I think you know Washington's they just won five in a row. We're typing, taping this on Friday. Uh, I think they end up winning the division. But yeah, Atlanta winning like seventy five games isn't out of the question. And but they're like they seem to be like the 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 Houston Astros. Oh, I think circa, I think like, like eighty five games isn't well, out of the question. They're they're already eight games above five hundred. They'd have to impressive. play. Yeah, they'd be pretty bad to finish at seventy five from here on out. Yeah, that's true actually because they've won nineteen. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, are you? Buying or selling? What's what's something that's on your mind? I'll let you you take the next one. Like, what's something that you're you're wondering if it's real or or uh, a mirage? Um, that's a good question. Uh, the the Brewers being the best team in the in the Central is a is kind of an interesting one. Like, it's that that's an odd team too, because really? it's been like, what's that? I said really because I feel like like coming to this year, I was like oh, really pumped about the Brewers. They were definitely like a a. a pick that a lot of people were making it's just the way they've done it is kind of odd to me like 
they're the most bullpen dependent baseball team I can like possibly think. You know, it's like they have mm-hmm. they just don't really have good starters. They just like they don't have great starting pitching. Uh, Chase Anderson has been good, and like Junior Guerra has been great, but I don't know how long either of those things are going to last. And their bullpen, it's like every single guy has an ERA. Like every single guy. This is not an exaggeration. Uh, I'm looking at it now. They do not have an active member of their bullpen with an ERA above 1.93. That's absurd. Well, because right. we know every, you're right. every guy is below two. You wrote about Josh Hader this week, one of my favorite stories in baseball, that he's like the the incredible reliever who can't do any wrong. He could strike out 200 guys this year. It's absurd. But then you get like Albers, is, he's got a low ERA. And Jeffress, we know, is can throw hard. And, and Suter, I think, was a, a starter for a little bit there. Like, yeah, it's really fascinating what's going on there in this sort of uh, context of bullpens are the new thing in baseball. Yeah, right. And and uh, the Diamondbacks have a good starting rotation as well. Like the Diamondbacks, I think, have across the board the best pitching this year. Um, I'm really interested in that too. Uh, and and uh, Nick Pecoro of the uh, AZ Central or, or uh, the, the I'm sorry the Arizona Republic. I was blanking on the Gannett paper in Phoenix. Uh, wrote a great feature on Dan Harron, who has been the Diamondbacks pitching strategist for the last couple of years. Oh, wow. And and Harron, in the article, he like poo-poo's the idea that he's had a lot to do with their success. So I don't want to. I wouldn't like. Clearly, Dan Harron doesn't want it attributed to him. So I w- wouldn't be willing to do that either. But whatever they have been doing for the past two years in in Arizona with the pitching, it feels like now all of a sudden every every guy they call up, every guy on their rotation, every guy on the staff just pitches really well. So something's going right. It happens to to correspond uh, with the hiring of Dan Heron as pitching strategist. So you can't say for sure that 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 is the the you know the whatever the the benchmark for for when it changed it could be that the type of thinking that led them to hire dan heron was something that improved them across the board um but they just keep succeeding with pitching and and they did sort of the same thing as the diamondbacks i uh, say so the same thing as the brewers where you know they're not using their best reliever as their closer necessarily and and they're you know they're relying on these middle inning guys and bullpen guys but what they have on top of uh, the great bullpen is is a really good starting staff as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, different buy or sell. Is buying or selling Mookie Betts as AL MVP? Uh, selling because of Mike Trout. I mean, Betts is that's, awesome. I was, that's the exact reason I asked you. <laughs> Betts is awesome. Uh, he's a great he's a great player. He's he's obviously having a, a great year. He's this is like Mookie Betts is happening now. He had sort of a down year last year. I think a lot of his value has been defensive to date. Like he's been a pretty good hitter and a great defender, and now he's hitting like I think people expected he someday would when he came in so young and, and hit pretty well. Uh, but is he going to hit 370 all year? Is he going to hit 70 home runs like he's on pace soon? No. I mean, I don't, I don't think so. And and we know, like, we know Trout's floor, and it's just not that far off from, like, Mookie Betts' ceiling, right? Like, yeah. Trout's just so good. And, and it looks it really looks like Trout – is improving and and does continue to keep getting better uh and at a much steadier pace than than bets who's like sort of just exploded in the first month of this season so i would i would always bet on trout now i'm with you i mean i think trout 
look at what he's done already. He's he, he's only, and I'm putting that in massive scare quotes, hitting 297, but he's hit 11 home runs. He's driven in 21. He's stolen five bases already. Like, he's doing the Mike Trout thing exactly like he does every year. Uh, buying or selling a trade of Manny Machado? Uh, man, uh, yeah. I mean, they have to. They have yeah. to. If you, you know, like, they, what do you, you want to let that guy walk for two draft picks? Like, that's it? Uh, I feel like they have to. Yep. I mean, especially, I think that almost getting off to this bad of a start might be the best thing for the Orioles. Who need a rebuild? That's, a, that's one of these clubs that sort of, like, resists the rebuild for a long time. And, you know, they did, good, they did a good job, like, sort of cobbling together borderline contenders for a really long time. Uh, and, and I think they're, like, they, they remind me of the Tigers uh, last year. Where it's just, like, it's just time. It's time just get rid of as many of these guys as you can and and go young and develop players and figure this out because the Yankees and the Red Sox, the way they're both built right now, like there's not a, a real clear window in the AL East for a couple of years anyway. Like you might as well just make this the time when you when you get it all together. Couldn't agree more with you. Uh, I'll leave you with the last one. Buying or selling the Houston Astros spin rate being due to uh let's say outside influences well i'm buying it uh because i i i think a lot of pitchers do that so like i don't i don't it's not like oh i like i don't want to say oh it's the esters do this and no one else does this i think basically everyone is doing something with with pine tar or or uh sunblock as the big one or you know whatever different thing whatever like a vaguely legal substance they can figure out to use uh i think they're using and so you know maybe the astros found better one uh they do seem to be doing like pretty exceptional things in terms of improving pitchers i actually talked to verlander about it a little bit and he said like you know as soon as he got there Basically, like they presented to him information about, uh, and he was sort of cagey about exactly the exact like the specifications of the information. But he's saying, you know, looking at his own pitching and looking at his arm angle and where he's holding the ball and how he's releasing his pitching. Uh, but then also, you know, looking at patterns for the opposing hitters and uh, and the you know using the scouting reports and heat maps and whatever else uh, to determine how to pitch guys. Uh, so like you know, the information that they have he said like sort of on both sides in terms of improving himself and improving his game plan uh have helped him i buy that um but again you know like i'm not i'm not certainly not selling the idea that the astros like most teams are using some pine tar on their hands to get better grips right and i I think that the the thing with some of these sort of illegal things and uh, that are that are sort of like givens in in sports that are legal until you get caught like that's part of life right like if a guy gets caught with something you know between his thumb and his finger that you know he's using you know not so surreptitiously uh to wipe it on a ball like you know i mean i always get caught like too bad you know i always use the analogy of like a, a college ra Right, like if you're a college <laughs> right, you know you know there are kids on your floor who are going to drink beers in their dorm rooms, and they're not they're not supposed to, but you know it's going to happen, 
right? And and you probably look the other way if it's a quiet couple of guys drinking a couple of beers in their dorm room, right? But if you if someone is flouting the rules and walking past the RA's dorm or RA's room, like just rolling past it, rolling a keg by, the RA kind of has to step up and say something, you know, yeah. uh, to maintain the order on the floor. And so I feel like the league sort of acts in that way, whereas like as long as you're subtle about this. We can be okay, but if if you're Michael Pineda and you come out with just pine tar all over your arm, it's like, what do what do you want us to do here, bro? Uh, and so I, I get that. I think what Trevor Bauer is saying is right, though. Like, I think just having just saying like, okay, let's all agree, this substance is okay, right? They already have rosin on the back of the mound as a this is an acceptable thing. If you're a pitcher, you can you know you can dry off your hand with the rosin bag. Why not? have a pine tar rag back there too and say like if you're a pitcher this is the acceptable thing you can do you can put pine tar on your fingertips to get a better grip hitters don't seem to mind right because they're safer for it and so we have deemed this substance accessible acceptable and you know no more of the sunscreen no more rubber cement on the inside of your arm no more spraying your pants down with you know like stick them so you can rub them during the game if we catch you doing any of those things you're suspended like you always would have been but you're cool with this pine tar or whatever substance they deem best it's a fascinating idea it really is and and i i love trevor bauer uh in general and i love and i know you do too i love the the you know him coming out and kind of coming out with suggestion i love is the right word i find him a i find him interesting and i really like that there's any baseball player who speaks his mind. I think people uh, have already sort of drawn him into this thing that we do in the media and, and the world at large, where it's like when someone steps out of line and says something interesting you, you uh, and they're candid about it and they're honest, you everybody just sort of like clamps down on them and, and starts dismissing everything they said. Like he has been like he's a Trump guy and he's, he's sort of outspoken about Trump sometimes. And so because of that, people don't want to hear what he has to say about pine tar on the ball and that's ridiculous right he's saying interesting things about pine tar on the ball we should be thankful that any baseball player is saying anything interesting yeah well said and i will leave it at that uh the og no og ted berg that is your twitter handle and uh thank you so much for joining us ted my pleasure 